Okay, do you want to sing the song from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure yeah. that you know so well? Bill and Ted's, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Woo, 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 woo. Right? No. Notice the the Lee. I know it's stupid because it's it's obvious now, but I never picked up the Bill and Ted Wayne's World crossover. Uh, like I knew I would I would have known that they're parodying parroting the same ilk. You know what I mean? Right. The same, the same like type of guy. Yeah, but I I never one in like, Los Angeles, one in Chicago, but still the same type of guy. Right. Anyway, welcome to Your Inner Child is an Idiot. This is the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood and see if they're any good. My name is DJ. And my name is David. And I was going to say uh, that uh, they interviewed Alex Winter recently, and he said uh-huh. that it was like a Jungian self subconscious type bullshit where they came out, like Wayne's World came out like the week before Bill and Ted debuted in theaters. Like it was a oh. kismet, one might say. So Am I using that right? Or do I mean innervate again? You mean innervate. <laughs> so, okay. So Bill and Ted came out. We're talking about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure right, today, to by the way. Oh, we're on a show. We're not just talking to each other. We should. Uh, are we on a show? Yeah. Aren't we all on a show? If it's a show and no one listens, aren't we just talking to each other and recording it for posterity? Excellent adventure came out in 1989. Here's the thing. We're gonna we're gonna watch this one, and then we're gonna watch the the squeakle, and then we're gonna watch the new one. the The whole point is there. There's a new one. Uh, Bill and Ted face the music that came out. Does it bother you that it doesn't follow the adjective, the stoner adjective? Um, that know, only that only up. applies if your sequel happens within two decades of the <laughs> movie that it's sequeling. Sorry, you're outside the uh, yeah. the range here, so you're gonna have to come up with a whole new setup. You can't even do a number at that point. They're like, they're like Bill and Ted three. They're like, no, absolutely not. Shorthand for sure, but you can't put that in the title. We will not allow it. <laughs> you're fucking fifty. I'm sorry, you can't. Were you a Bill and Ted kid? Were you uh there were no Bill and Ted? That's not a thing. Um, it's not like you know, Power Rangers. Um, although was it like Power Rangers? Was there I suddenly had a flash of a of a potential Saturday morning a crossover? Cartoon. Saturday morning cartoon, oh. I think. I have a vision of a cartoonized Keanu. I don't know. And a cartoon yeah, Bill and Ted's George cartoon. Carlin. Yeah, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, 1990 TV series. Holy shit. Ooh, just add the S, like aliens. Probably just as good, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, we're going to have to look into that. Please. Um, <laughs> I demand it in a lot yeah. of ways. I'm going to have even not, I didn't even not. I did not even realize that happened. So, no. Um, I, I liked this. I remember liking this movie, but I don't remember knowing like it wasn't like a big thing for my childhood um you and the rest I of liked, america i definitely remember i think i'm remembering more about the second one because that has death in it as a character and i remember that being funny to me it also then, i think i'm the same way and i think it's because i was just slightly older and my brain was able to make yes. memories about it yeah i think maybe we were just a little bit too young for this to have the like hit at the right time um I do remember it was on TV a lot when we 
Because what I was doing in 1989 was I wasn't necessarily preparing for my parents about to drop the bomb that we're moving to Texas the following Mm -hmm. year. So that's what I was not doing. Wait, let's explore that a little bit more. Oh, yeah, let's unpack it. I'm I'm the one. And how does does what you just said make you feel? I don't want to do any work. I don't want to help you at all. You're not going to guide me on the unpacking? (laughs) You just told me to just do it on my own? No, I mean, different schools of therapy. We lived in Long Island, New York. And in 90, we moved to Texas. Alan, Massapequa? <laughs> Allen, Texas. Well, Bayshore, New York. I get it. Uh, and then we moved to Allen, okay. Texas, which is outside of Dallas, mm-hmm. part of the megapolis of Dallas. Your, what was your address? Uh, Toby <laughs> Drive, uh, <laughs> Allen, Texas. Can't remember the zip, but I'm sure you can quickly Google it. Anyone? So 1998, you moved. Right. And then well, we got HBO because of a mix-up at the old uh, cable company, and uh Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was frequently on it. So I remember watching it. Um, I didn't form a lot of memories about it, except um, Alex Winter's uh, bare midriff sweatshirt. That is the only thing I remember from this movie. And let me tell you, it's it's a fomenting experience. Is that also the right word I mean? (laughs) I think you mean fermenting. Mm. It's a fermenting. So I remember... The main thing I remember about this, other than the sort of zeitgeisty like things that still get referenced, and then also where I'm from Bogus Adventure uh, is um, Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey. Bogus Journey. Sorry, sorry. Um, is so I remember I had a friend from school named Amy, um, and Amy's. We were over at Amy's house, and my mom was there too. And I don't know if they were like, if like Amy and I were like hanging out, like having a play date or whatever. But my mom was there, and then her dad was there, and her dad was talking to me about Bill and Ted, about how it was Eddie Van Halen playing the guitar parts. I think he was a guitar player. Oh, and this okay. was before I played guitar. I think I've heard that. So, that so makes sense. I don't know why he thought I was interested because I wasn't at the time, but I do still remember it. Um, but he. Because he, I was like, that's Eddie Van Halen? Because it doesn't, you know, I, I was young enough that I didn't really know what Eddie Van Halen looked like, but I knew it wasn't George Carlin that he looked like. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And so he's like, oh, no. I thought you meant when they did the air guitar, that was Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, and that's what he explained to me oh. is that, well, yeah, that that's George Carlin, but when he's playing, that's Eddie's hands. And I, I remember see. him saying, that's Eddie's hands, like it, me- it meant anything to me. And I was like, <laughs> whoa, cool. It's like something that at the time wasn't important to me, but has become important. That's become important to you, that Eddie's hands are what are used in Bill and Ted's excellent I, I miss. I misspoke there. Not important, but I remember it. Ah. <laughs> um, which, it was weird that he was talking to you about it, because you were just stuffing guitar picks in your mouth at the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I was... I was, I was, you know, seven years old, so... Seven, eight years old, so... What was I, I was probably just trying to stick things in the electrical socket at that point. Was Amy um, was Amy an only child? I think so. I'm, the yeah, main thing I remember about Amy. The house, I'm going to talk to him about guitars. I'm going to talk to him about Van Halen. For yeah, me. you might be right. I uh, it, the main thing I remember about Amy is that she, she hated Van Halen. <laughs> she like her her fingers peeled, and she would always she would always pick the, at them. Ah. Like oh, kid, like a, like a kid. Don't, don't no, I know, like not like gross. bleeding. It is gross, but it wasn't like you like know splitting the layers of her fingernails. Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Not nails, like the like the skin around her fingernails oh. should be peeling, and she would pick at it. Mm. Amy, 
I'm not going to say her last name because no, of up. course, because she's also a security question on, on your <laughs> bank account. Who was a friend <laughs> from from third grade? What else? We so it's a time trap. They find a time traveling phone booth, right? They don't and find it. They- Rufus comes down. Uh, George Carlin comes down um, because the joke of the movie is that they're terrible guitar players, but their song is going to unite the world's people. Uh, But if they fail their history final, they're going to not graduate high school and send them on a dark path to where Biff is like president of the United States or something. And so they, he gives them a time machine so they can gather up all, so they can learn history and they gather up all these people from uh, history and, and ace their history final. Now, when you had a final in high school, you did it, especially a history final. You did that on the theater stage. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to confirm that we both had normal high school. Everyone did, right? Yeah. All the teachers were there. They like did some acting as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Did skits. Wait, this is the babysitters club again, actually. Oh. Um, (laughs) I also remember this made me uncomfortable as a kid. That, but that uh, Keanu's Ted's, um, the titular Ted, uh, his father gets remarried, I believe. Um. Mm. Or is it the other way around? No, I think it's Ted's dad get marries a really hot young thing, and the guys are uh, obviously attracted to her. Um, but he has to. Right. But I think Ted has to keep calling her mom or something weird. One of them has a really hot. Yeah. Stand. Yeah. This is like tickling little memories in the back of my head. Everything. Everything you're saying, like I've, I, I don't like have a clear memory of it. Uh, and I think it's like there's they're obviously like a stoner, like a play on stoners, but I don't think right. they're ever explicitly made into stoners. It's a very kid friendly right. okay. version of stoner. So it sounds like a really fun concept. Um <laughs> the, well, this is actually a pitch. This movie's never been made. DJ, this are, is your chance. Sometime, I think right around the time they were announcing that they were they were gonna do the third one. Ed Solomon, the one of the writers. With the writer on the screenplay of this, like talked about how they just were like at a restaurant and just like longhand wrote out the script. They just mm-hmm. had this idea and they just first draft, just like for the did first it one or a, for the third bar for the first one. And like that was, I found that found that really charming. They were just like sitting in a bar, like having having dinner and drinks, and then they just had this idea and they just like wrote it right there, that's, that's which is it's very charming. Um. I'm excited to watch this. I think I'll like it more now than I would have then. Um, that's my guess. That's my prediction. What do you think? I don't know. Um, I I think I liked it as a kid because I wasn't yet prissy enough to care that these stoners are getting help on their final, <laughs> which, would have, <laughs> which would really grind my gears now. <laughs> that's what messes you up. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how I feel about it. Okay. It, you get to see George Carlin acting. That's always... Good. Oh, you know what else George Carlin was in? Every Dogma? other kid's favorite, Prince of Tides. Oh, I've never seen that one. <laughs> yeah, of course. No one, <laughs> no one, unless their mother took them to the theater to see it, has seen Mother, it. can we watch Prince of Tides again? We can have Adam on again to talk about <laughs> Prince of Tides. <laughs> All right, so we're going to watch uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure right now and uh, come back in a second and talk about it with us. Listen to us talk about it, really. Yeah, you can't really talk with us. I mean, I guess you could. You could, like, pause it and, like, oh, Damon, that's an interesting point, but here's my thoughts. But at that point, are you okay? 
And it would also, it would probably be like self-defeating because then it's obvious that me and DJ are not responding to the things you're saying. Oof. Yeah. And sometimes even just like reiterating them after you, like sort of just like talking over you and stealing your ideas. If you act, like act now, even though this has uh, been recorded previously, text us 615-576-0525. We'll pretend like we're responding to you later. Damon, Damon, it's me, DJ, but from the future. Why was there an explosion in the middle of your sentence? Well, I forgot to put it in at first. (laughs) It was steam from my time machine. I'm from the future, and I have to tell you. Hey, DJ. First off, hey, like, you know, let's greet each other. Hello. Hello. Thank you. you. You're looking good. Thank you. I've been doing something new with my uh, balding. (laughs) Adding. To it. Adding to it primarily. Uh, what can I help you with? Well, I just wanted to tell you it's very important that you don't blow this podcast because if you if you if you don't make this podcast funny, the future is not going to happen. And in the future, we have uh, a world that is full of uh, Damon and DJ branded uh, merchandise and podcasts because of the support of our patrons. Wait, okay, just to, I, I don't want to put a lot of pressure on me, but you want me to make the podcast funny. Yes, you <sighs> need to have a maybe some poignant analysis, but mostly jokes. Mm, I do, otherwise, future DJ, you know I love you. Otherwise, no um, one. <laughs> but question mark? I don't know. That's a lot. I mean, I've got a lot of stuff, a lot of irons in the fire. Otherwise, no one's going to go to patreon.com slash your child's an idiot and become a patron of the show. So you've got to you got to do this for the. OK, you know what? You've laid the stakes and I feel like I, I sense how important they are now. Now that you've stated it so boldly. Good. Now we can go into act two. <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash your child's an idiot. We are back, and we watched William and Theodore. William and Theodore's little partnership. I loved it, too. That's that's its name in the Library of Congress. But to or, you at home, yeah. you might know it as Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's right, yeah. Uh, before we even get into the recap, I got I to gotta cor- issue a correction. It's not Eddie Van Halen's hands playing the guitar. R.I.P., by the way, between our recording of the intro to now yeah passed uh, away eddie van halen so it's even more important that i that i give credit where credit's due to not take credit have, away from to eddie take van credit halen. from the memory of eddie van halen uh uh it is stevie salas i don't actually know but he's uh another great guitarist but he not as famous as eddie van halen but he did all the guitar guitar work um so uh, i'd like to I'd, i'm gonna sit here and wait for an apology from amy e's dad uh, who Ooh. told me it was Eddie's hands. Yes, yes, yes. Circa 1990. Luckily, we're streaming this live, so she should be able to get him on the horn. 615-576-0525. Go ahead and, and uh, text <laughs> in. Call in. Amy E. We'll just be sitting right here. DJ, can you recap this movie for us? See what I did okay. there? I stole it out from under. You pulled the rug out. Bill and Ted are uh, two, um, let's say, flighty gentlemen. Um, and they they are in trouble. They're going to fail 
the class if they don't ace this last report, which they're for some reason doing together, even though no one else is doing a partnered report. Um, And while uh, they're kind of uh, trying to figure out how they're going to deal with this, they are visited by a man from the future, Rufus, played by George Carlin, who makes them recognize that it's so important that they pass school because they're going to go on to save the future that he lends them his uh, phone booth, a time travel device. It's not a TARDIS. You're picturing the wrong kind of phone booth. This is an American phone booth. And they use it to travel back in time, collecting famous people from history, whom they then bring back through a series of uh, hijinks adventures to uh, their uh, to help them with their big presentation for their history class. And they ace it and presumably go on to save the world. We'll have to see as the series goes on how the yeah. world fares in yes. terms of their 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 uh, philosophy. I'm I'm gonna say I feel like that was a pretty good synopsis. I'm usually really bad at that. You know, it, it's probably in, in the top five of your synopses. Thank you, list. thank you, model top to you thank and you. yours. Um, now I'll just sit back for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Put your feet up. Turn your mic off. Who gives a shit? <sighs> um. Give me another margarita. I wanted to push back because something, I mean, I uh, I want to push back on your recap, even though we oh my just, God. were just saying how good it was. It's so good. One of the things I only caught when I was re-watching it was that it's not necessarily that they have to pass their uh, history final, but it's that Ted's dad will send Ted to uh, Alaska. Code. Yeah. Um, and that will separate the two, and that's what causes Rufus to have to come back. It's not that they're going to flunk out of high school or whatever, which is what I assumed going in, but it's that Ted's dad is going to separate them and, and send Ted to Alaska, and then well, they won't be able to, you know, build the new foundations of the universe yes. or whatever the fuck. But, I mean, he would do that because he fails this. No, absolutely. Test. But I, I think in my but mind, you're right. I recast yeah, right. it like, oh, they're going to fail out of high school and they're going to become losers. Right. But yeah, not they, that they, necessarily not having a high school education makes you a loser. But in kinda, the 80s parlance, Reaganomics, uh, you know, uh, you know, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yeah. yous. That's the one with pickle down, right? Pickle down economics. Pickle down. You want the pickles to come down upon you. It just means just means put it below the bun or uh below the burger on the bun directly. You, you don't want to do pickle that. to be on the mayonnaise side, the mustard side should be on the bottom. Well, because that's the a, pickle and the mustard are both yeah. acidic, so you want to balance it out. But you don't want to sog the bun. I don't like pickle directly on bun. Oh, no, you want to... No, 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 no. Come on. DJ, what is this amateur hour? You take the pickle, you shake it. You shake it like a Polaroid picture coming out of the, the jar, and then you put it on the thing. You don't put it on wet. Come on. I mean, it's still This is wet. in 1978. It's still You got to shake that thing before you put it on the bun. First of all, I just want to talk about... Um, Rufus's vision of the future when he describes it. <laughs> he <Yes>. says <laughs> bowling scores are up, mini golf scores are down. It's excellent. It's basically I, a utopia. The yeah. air is clean, the water's clean, even the dirt is clean. <laughs> it's very good. It felt like a very Carlin uh moment. Yeah. Just like, you know what? Why don't you take a, like 20 minutes and just write out a, an intro real quick? Yeah. Punch that up, would you? Um I like when this is a, a good a good trope in this movie. I like when people who are playing music, it, their music is so bad that they cause electrical problems. Like, 
Marty McFly syndrome. Yeah. It's just like, oh God, this is so bad that I'm being, that your equipment just blows up. <laughs> the equipment has a taste and it yeah. will reject music it does not care for. <laughs> it's like the feedback. Like every time someone walks up to a microphone, it's like. Especially Ooh. a pubescent teenager with yeah. a cracking voice. That's, that's the best time um, to go Excuse out. me. Or I will say this because I've I've crashed a lot of parties. A lot of times the DJ's records will skip when I open the door, casting the hallway light into the the darkened party. And what was that? Oh, do you want to do that again? Uh, <laughs> we all know the sound of records <laughs> skipping, which is. <laughs> uh, this, well, I skip over this uh, step. His stepmom, Missy. We talked about that. A oh, bit. yeah. This is one of my bigger topics. Um, yeah. We're going into it. I mean, it. we can. Uh, I'm guessing in a purely, like, coming at it at a comedy level. So so let's just explain who Missy is. Uh, Bill S. Preston, comma, mm-hmm. Esquire. Um, his father uh, has has remarried a girl who is maybe three or four years older than, than Bill and Ted. They even they, referenced that, that yeah. Ted asked her to prom when they were freshmen. And she um, was a senior. I think they mentioned that. Yeah. She was uh, wasn't she a senior when we were freshmen? <laughs> and so, so there's this sort of, I mean, for lack of a better term, running joke that, that she is hot and she's mm-hmm. married to Bill's dad. Mm-hmm. And that's about the length of the joke. There's never really any punchline to it, at least as far as I could tell. It was just sort of like this awkwardness throughout the film that, all, that was yeah. just like, oh, Missy's hot. But there's never like actually a punchline to it, except for at the very end when they've already picked up Sigmund Freud in their presentation, uh, which I also want to get into the ridiculousness of this presentation. <laughs> uh, Sigmund Freud does a does a analysis on Ted but then turns to Bill and said, would you like also to get on the couch? And Bill just says, oh, I just have a minor Oedipal complex. <laughs> and uh, it made me laugh, but it was like, was the whole Missy thing just to lead just up to, to this like up. kind of like thrown off punchline? I don't know. I felt like it was always like there was a lot of potential for a lot of jokes, but it never actually seemed to get there. The joke was that she is hot. Look at this hot lady. And she's a stepmom. Isn't that weird? I guess I just got, I, yeah, there wasn't much to it, but I, I guess I just thought it was like just kind of a, a throwaway, but also showing that they weren't super, they kind of were each other's safe family. You know what I mean? Their, their friendship was like an escape from their home life because Ted's being hounded by his dad and threatened to be sent away to military school. And then Bill just doesn't want to be around that weird relationship. Oh, <laughs> now see, DJ you've pulled a Damon here and found a lot more information than I. <laughs> that was just, that's just how I felt about it. I, I don't know if that's what's Elliot, but I just mean messy. Uh... <laughs> well, and they, they make a couple of little visual gags. Like there's one point where they're hanging out of uh, Bill and Ted are hanging out in Bill's room. And then eventually his uh, Missy and his dad come in and they like make Bill and Ted leave the room so they can fuck in Bill's bed. Can I just say something? First off, there's Messed the weird up. Freudian Freudian thing of like fucking in your own child's room, but also like Super Bill up. doesn't seem to be a very clean kid. Yeah, so like that's imagine also... like even just a standard like teenage boy's Ooh. bed. Like you don't want to fuck on that. And then Bill just also just seems like kind of maybe like smells like skunkweed. Like, do you really want to fuck on on those sheets? Or maybe that's part of it. Yeah, maybe you know that's what? the, the I need to be more sex positive, and I apologize to yeah. people who are fucking on their teenage boy's cheeks. 
Don't shame parents who want to. Yes, actually, we're going to shame that. That's actually, weird. you know what? Stop. Oh, stop it. I don't like that at all. Teenagers uh, and then, are looking for a safe space, and their room is uh, a sanctum that they need to be able to have that doesn't have their their father's spunk in their sheets, potentially. <laughs> yeah, there's, an, there's enough There's enough of that in the room, I promise. Um, Wait, I feel like we got over our skis, to okay. quote political podcasts I listen to, um, a little bit. Can we talk about Bill and Ted a little bit? The characters. Not yeah, the movie. Not, not the movie, because we're going to be doing the movie as a whole. <laughs> yes, we can. I just want to talk about them, because... I mean, I was prepared to hate them. You know Dam- how much Damon's I about love- to spend ten straight minutes on the midriff. I get it. You got to <laughs> do what you got to do, man. I feel like I already spent five of those minutes in the intro talking <laughs> about the midriff, but I will keep my time. I am keeping my time on this one. Um, it's as great as I remember. First off, uh, keeping it tight. <laughs> keeping it tight, teenage boy. Um, technically, he was twenty-one, so everything's fine. Um, I really like Bill and Ted. Yes, they're very lovable. They're I feel very... like they could have been a lot more gross. And they're not flawless. There are a few points where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm watching a movie from 1988. Um, but for the most part, they're very like charming and avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I feel like teenage boys in 80s movies yeah. sometimes fall into, which make me, as a gay man who also lived through the 80s, uncomfortable. Um First off, one of the things I love about them is that they're stupid in the same way that Homer Simpson is stupid, which is they're not as stupid as they may seem. Like, Homer Simpson has a unique ability to be borderline, like, maybe might need legal protections in how stupid he is, but also can, like, draw up uh, obscure names from the Supreme Court. Right. Uh, And the same way with Bill and Ted, like, uh, when uh, Ted is, like, trying to just... Uh, improvise facts for George Washington. He's like, oh yeah, he had wooden teeth and he had a peg leg and he, he had to go fight Moby Dick. And he's like, no, that's Captain Ahab, dude. And like these kids in real life wouldn't know who Captain Ahab (laughs) is. Um, Yeah. They they also, sometimes they state their stupidity in like very uh, academic ways, which I really appreciate. One of my favorite lines is, uh, after they've already taken Billy and Socrates to uh, medieval England, um, uh, Billy the kid is like handling it really well, and Bill feels the need to address him and says, "Billy, you were really dealing with the oddity of time travel with the greatest of ease." <laughs> yeah, there's lots of really good laugh. turns of phrase uh, while we're while we're talking about that. There's uh, the I have I wrote a couple of them down. Let's see. Uh, we are destined to flunk most egregiously. <laughs> I think our time traveling adventure is at its end. Yeah. When they think they're going to be beheaded. (laughs) Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. That's that's why I had that one down. Um, Of course, uh, there's also, there were many steps and columns. It was most tranquil. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love, I mean, I guess maybe that's why I remember them as stoners, even though they really... They're actually coded as a subgenre that I have forgotten existed, which is they're metalheads, technically. They're not stoners uh, or surfer boys. They're metalheads. Right. Uh, which isn't... Uh, which is the Wayne's World model as yeah, well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think they're they're not as like a big a model now, right. so I forget that they existed. But they are metalheads. Um, well, and I... I, I wanted to, I, I read a little bit of, uh, I don't know if it was like an interview or retrospective and it was like Ed Solomon, who is the, one of the co-writers of the movie, was talking about how 
when they were, and I don't remember if it was how it, it was his, if it like originally came from him or if it was the director who I can't remember who directed this who was, who was the director, Stephen Herrick. Is that right? Yeah. So, uh, or if it was like the, the director, um, Stephen Herrick, who, who like gave them the direction more golden retriever. Like that was their, they were like, <laughs> be more golden retriever. So anytime that they would kind of step out of that kind of energy, he would remind them and that like, they found that, I think it was Keanu even that was like, found that really helpful to oh, like, no. no, sorry, go ahead. Um, just cause that, you know, that, that sort of, you can totally see that in retrospect, like that, like lovable, playful, like kind of dumb, but also like in a, in a way that is not malicious in any way, shape or form. Yeah. I think that's what yeah. I, I think made them so charming is they're never like, they're never bullies. They right. they never seem to be like, they never have the edge on anyone really. Uh, they don't seem to be like particularly violent or never taken. Like they're never seemingly making fun of anyone. Um, but they, yeah, the golden retriever is perfect because there's a few moments where, where, where I guess Ted is sort of razzing Bill on the fact that one, that his father's fucking, uh, his stepmom on his own bed. Um, and, and Bill just keeps saying, shut up, Ted. Uh, and, and Ted, when he gets at his angriest and he just sort of shouts, shut up, Ted, like Ted just sort of pauses like with a dumb look and then just like smiles. And it's first off, it's Keanu Reeves. It's adorable. Um, but it, it is like golden retriever is exactly right. Like stunned. And then like, what are we doing now? What's yeah. the next adventure we're going on? Which why the like the one slur that does happen actually felt really out of character. No, yeah. Well, I was just gonna say there, there's that one moment which we have, you know, we have to talk about, of which course is we're gonna they talk about they are. I can't remember what they're celebrating or whatever, but they they're hug. In medieval England, and they um, have uh, successfully evaded capture by putting on much like Bugs Bunny or something. They yes. they put on knight's armor, which you can whip on by yourself as, yeah, because any medieval knight could take tell on you. and take off really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, they're sort of like, they sort of get lost in the moment. They start like doing some star Wars goofing off. Uh, and then I guess I was going to ask you about this because uh, Keanu goes, Hey Bill, we just had a sword fight. Mm. And then Bill like gets angry and like sort of like playfully pushes him down the stairs or pushes him and then he falls down the stairs. Um, and I was like, is that supposed to mean is sword fight a thing? Oh, uh, I didn't even catch that. It might, it might've been because I mean, uh, not to impugn, not to impugn your culture DJ, but uh straight men have a habit of, uh, guessing what certain sexual acts are and then, well, then just I, assuming that that's, that's the case everywhere. No gay men are actually like fighting with their, their, their penis yeah, or swords. That's how you make love, right? You rub your sticks <laughs> together, right? You start no, a fire. You don't rub the sticks together. You get the urethras to sort of kiss. <laughs> but yeah, they, they are happy that they're both alive or whatever. Or he thought Ted was dead. And so they hug and then he goes fag. Yeah. yeah. And they say it together. And it was like, of course, this is 1989. This is like, you know, you, you don't get a pass, but you do get a you're of the time. But it also felt super out of character. Like it was just, there was kind of like, it was of the moment. So it was like, I guess kind of made sense like that two boys of that age at that time would definitely do that. I mean, it earned an eye roll from me, but a little else. Uh, yeah, it just seems it seems like they are um, 
I mean, they're best friends and they're super close with each other. So it didn't, I don't know why we have to like malign a hug between them just because one survived a stabbing. I feel like, I mean, I'm not going to assume you're fucking each other if you hug when you find out your friend is alive still when you thought he was dead. Right. Yeah. I think that, that, that you get a little, uh, you get a yeah. little pass on hugging once in a while. Well, and obviously, like, even in, in media, obviously, there wasn't a lot of, like, that supportive friendship. But it also wasn't as common to, you know, for two straight dudes to, like, emotionally support each other. Like, they, throughout the rest of the film, they're more emotionally supportive of each other than most actual people would be to each other. Like... They're just very encouraging to each other. So, well, I would say, I mean, the 80s is a particularly, I would say that there was a time when men would hug each other and no one would think anything of it. But I think in the 70s and 80s, there's turned into this backlash as like right, gay right. culture became more apparent. And it was like, well, we really have to stand apart from them. So we have to be absolutely clear that we're just hugging each other in a platonic way right. and not sticking our dicks up each other's butts. Yeah. So, you know, if we hug, we have to say fag after it. And I mean, the funny, the weird thing is not the funny thing, um, but that whole medieval England section is probably like my least favorite because yes, um, it's also, I mean, the whole scene is like outside the movie, like they conk someone on the head and there's literally like a Roger Rabbit esque bird bird. tweeting sound when someone gets hit on the head. When it's like actually the most like violent and visceral part of the the movie, uh, they add these like cartoonish parts. Maybe that's the why they why they added these cartoonish effects to it. Um, But yeah, the whole medieval part was a little bit. It's not that it doesn't play into the larger plot of the movie, but in that section, they go there, they meet some bodacious historic babes, Mm -hmm. and they do not actually, they meet them, but they don't actually, like, take them back with them in time. They don't take Henry V back in time either. They just sort of have, like, sort of an action set up, and they they leave, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, It actually doesn't, it seems like it's just sort of spinning its wheels there at the at that moment. And so the added effect, especially looking back in 2020 of them being somewhat homophobic just sort of adds to the, what are we doing here? Feel of this whole right. scene. Yeah. Well, and I guess that was the only thing it was about the princesses was that future Ted mentioned that to past Ted, that he was going to tell the princesses we said, hello or whatever. Yeah. It was. And You'll it's like, see. Yeah. And it's like, that's actually the whole point is that these princesses who literally don't come back into play until the end of the movie. <laughs> right. It was really, yeah, it was a little bit, I mean, they're all very vignettes, you know, they're all like Looney Tune shorts, you know? Yeah, that's so, true. But this was, yeah, this was the most like probably get rid of a bull if they, if they had decided to cut one. Right. But also you needed the princesses, I guess. So they have what every man needs at the end of an adventure, which is the reward of a woman. <laughs> I mean, I do want to touch on that in a little bit, but I want to also commend the film uh, for being one tightly written. I, yes. you know, when I watch these movies from the eighties, I mourn the loss of a tight 90 minute film. Yes. When I turn this on, because I will admit this is maybe one of the, I mean, it's not babysitters club book stretch, but it's one of the longer stretches between our opening intro recording and the actual recording of the meat of the episode. <laughs> um, 
But like when I finally turn it on, I'm like, oh, no one why no- have I been putting this off? It's only 90 minutes. Yeah, it's a breeze. I could do this twice in the course of a Lord of the Rings movie. Yes. Or a Marvel movie. Hey. Those aren't long. <clears throat> I just wait, wanted to I dig don't... at us both. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I like about this, this is that uh, I feel like a lesser movie would have everyone speak English. Mm, yeah. But one of the things I like about this is that Socrates still doesn't understand what anyone is saying. Like the um, whole movie. <laughs> uh, Sigmund Freud sort of speaks broken English, which I, actually I didn't check if that's accurate, but I have a feeling it's accurate. Uh, Beethoven never really speaks because he only speaks German. Um, Napoleon only speaks French. Um, mm-hmm. I love that. I love yeah. that they are like, I'm not afraid to have people who don't speak in this movie. And in um, a, a very game, uh, Billy the Kid is like all like translating for Socrates, <laughs> like using mime gestures and stuff like that. The whole the whole and time, at some point, it, had a Nerf football somewhere in his pocket, or some somewhere in that phone booth was a Nerf football to toss what? between him and Socrates. Oh when yeah, supposed to yeah. be guarding the uh, phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> Do you notice how like uh, this is not uh? A dig necessarily, but how 80s the future is. So they go, they, they travel to <laughs> the Bill and Ted based society that is the mm-hmm. future, uh, uh, which is like fronted by like a tribunal of led by Clarence Clemens, saxophonist for E Street Band. True. Springsteen, RIP. Um, but they are, their whole society is built on Wild Stallions music, and mm-hmm. it's all very like they're wearing the like Oakley style sunglasses, and it's all very, it's very Holly. If like Hollywood from Mannequin, yes. created the future, yeah. <laughs> Which okay. I'd also be up for a movie for if anyone wants to just make that Mannequin Three, but it's all Hollywood creating the foundations of the future. <laughs> <laughs> Like a Bill and Ted, a mannequin crossover that no one asked for. I just asked for it. It's oh. like you're not even listening to me. Sorry. You didn't put in the official request. <laughs> Did you have Circle K's growing up? Is that something you know you what? I mean, I, I moved around a lot. So when I first saw this, I would have lived in probably Texas at the time I would have seen this. Or maybe New York. Um, so Circle K was not a thing. So for a while when I moved to Tennessee where they do have Circle K's, um, every time I would see one, I would Circled think of K's. Bill and Ted. Circled K. Where you um, eat your iced cream. <laughs> the K of the circle. Uh, <laughs> I would think of Bill and Ted because I was like, oh, is that... Because I guess I, when I saw this as a kid, I thought it was a made-up brand for right. the movie. Because it was, it was like, what the fuck is Circle K? Um, but when I first saw them, I was like, oh yeah, Bill and Ted. That's This is where time travel happens. Yeah, it... It's, it was a much more, I think, prevalent brand in the, I think they're still around, of course, but like they're like, uh, they were much more prevalent in the late eighties, early nineties. And I they mean, were they're just, just attached to gas stations, right? It's like a seven 11. Yes. Yeah. That's the vibe. And they, um, but there was one, uh, a block away from my mom's house and we would like walk down there and like buy my Dr. Pepper big slam. And, uh, <laughs> there's, uh, uh, a really uh, a- attractive uh, girl who was a year older than us that we would like that worked there, and so we would be like, "Hey, what's up?" Okay, bye. She'd be no, like, we uh, were, "Gross." I You're did like not Sigmund Freud. I guarantee you, I did not even say, "Hey, what's up?" Um, <laughs> you said it like into your shirt. Yeah, and then there was also a Circle K right next to the college campus here in Nashville, and uh, my friend friend of the show, Jacob and I were roommates in college and we would go there nightly and get the terrible 
microwave burritos and just awful gas station food like every night because college kids are gross. Oh my God. You, I imagine you would just like be floating like the Buddha on your own fart clouds. Oh yeah. I mean, it was just one big fart for four years. Did you ever ask the employees there about the Mongol rule of China? <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't get around to that. I, don't know I did like uh, that he asked he asked a woman in the parking lot. That woman over there said that, uh, I can't remember what he said, but he said that woman over there said they, they ruled until 1275. <laughs> And I'm like, what is the woman in the car doing? I want her story as well, please, Bill and or Ted. <laughs> oh, another line I liked, uh, when they go to the Old West and they order a beer and the guy gives them a beer, um, Ted says, he didn't even card us, dude. And Bill <laughs> says, yeah, we'll have to remember this place. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, is a saloon in the Old West of New Mexico. <laughs> But you also notice in the uh, in the medieval times when they went back, they told them they said put them in the Iron Maiden, and then of course they got excited because it was Iron Maiden. But then they didn't actually put them in an Iron. I Maiden. was disappointed disappointed by the fact that there was no actual Iron Maiden in the in the film. Now that's a missed opportunity to teach kids about the torture devices of medieval. England. Yeah. Also, I feel like that's not like that expensive to build, like a fake one, probably. You know, Iron Maidens. Those are the sarcophaguses with the the pokies Bikes. in them. Yeah. You're going to want to be careful on those. Well, you wouldn't use real spikes for the movie. You see, it's fiction. Yeah. (laughs) It's the power of fiction. Um, I also want to point out that Jane Wydland is in this. Uh, Some people might know her uh, as, wait, is she the Bengals or the Go-Go's? Go-Go's. She was the bassist for the Go-Go's. But she's probably better known as the singing telegram girl in Clue, colon, the movie, colon, 1988. I did not, I did not put that together. I did not realize that. She's there, man. She's very briefly in Clue. (laughs) You also probably remember that she's in the surreal life on VH1 for one season. I think the Tammy Faye Baker season. Okay. So things to look forward to. I will be covering the surreal life, right? Sure. We're not doing Clue, but we're doing the surreal life. Correct. The only reason we wouldn't do Clue is because we're all like, yeah, this is great. We just (laughs) quote things from it for an hour. Sounds like a great time. Uh, I remember now, like, I didn't remember in the, you know, just thinking back on this movie, but Napoleon eating the Ziggy Pig Sunday is a visceral memory for me. I remember always being kind of grossed out by it because I'd he, forgotten about it. But when he, uh, yeah. during that last bite, when he puts his sword, like as almost like a fencing move to stop yeah. the girl from getting the last bite, I had a, like a sense memory immediately kick in. Yeah. And, and then he was like, l- like licking his fingers <sighs> in the bowl and ugh. And the table, can you imagine the sticky pig, ziggy pig, or whatever the fuck it's called, table, with all the kids spit on it? Mm. I imagine it's like a Chuck E. Cheese, because everyone was dressed like a casino magnate. Although, I want to say, in Napoleon's defense, there were two instances where I really related to someone from the past, which one was when those two waiters at the ziggy pig, or whatever the fuck it's called, kept pointing at Napoleon in like a, a fun quote, quote, way, and he just put his hand up to stop them. I've really related to that as a person who does not care for fun. Um, But also, when uh, Socrates is in the wagon in medieval England, and he's just screaming, I also related to that. Ah! Socrates, I really... 
loved because one, he's kind of game for everything. Right. But he also still doesn't know what's going on. He has no idea the whole time. I love it. I love that. Also, that act character actor, who I think his name is Thomas Steedman, uh, he's also in in Scrooge, which is hands down my favorite Christmas movie. Uh, he plays the waiter, um, and he's very aggressive in his politeness in Scrooged. And he every time I watch Scrooge, for some reason, I still think Socrates. <laughs> um, Socrates. Socrates. Socrates, as they call him. I do like that. They call him Socrates a lot. <laughs> I did. That was another instance of like Homer Simpson-esque logic where it's like, it's Socrates. And he's like, look him up in the history book. But it's listed under Socrates. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is a very intellectual way of saying something very stupid. <laughs> Wait, I want to... Oh, I may have mentioned this in the Robin Hood episode, but one of my pet peeves in movies is when ruins are already ruined in what would be the present. So when they go to ancient Greece and the ruin, all the statues are still already kind of weathered and worn down and kind of dirty and gross. I'm like, they wouldn't have looked like this then they would have been brand new. How do you not understand that things aren't thousands of years old already when they would have been created? Also, well, yeah. they may have been painted. I can't remember if that's just ancient Rome or if that was something carried over from Greece as well. But they may have painted the goddamn statues. I think, yeah, I think there were like uh, a lot of the ancient things had like m- lots of bright colors. They even like, um, I remember when we talk, went to some of the museums, they're like, actually, it would look like this. And you're like, oh, actually, it would look terrible. Here's a picture. <laughs> this is awful. I prefer the white. I like the cleanliness of the white. It's like sort of like a a country kitsch type thing. Yeah, you got the farmhouse sink. <laughs> Great. You've the waterfall the counter. Uh, you've got sort of the you know the weathered look. I like the shiplap on the behind the Julius Caesar statue. I love it. Um, they one of the big set pieces towards the end, not quite to the end of the like where they're doing the presentation, but is the mall. They go to the mall. I can't remember why, but all of the, all hell breaks loose. Basically all of the, uh, historical figures are loose and have their individual adventures in the mall and get, you know, in trouble. And I think the reason they take them to the mall is because the, uh, Tyler came down when I was almost like two thirds done with the movie and he was just watching the report scene. And he's like, I'm sorry, what is this assignment? (laughs) Is what he said to me. (laughs) And I'm like, well, everyone's sort of doing a report, like an oral report uh, on history. And he's like, yeah, but like, is everyone doing something like this? I'm like, oh, no, most of them are just giving speeches. But the assignment is that they need to look at San Dimas through the eyes of a historical figure. So I think the idea of taking them to the mall was to get the right. the okay. the look of, you know, taking them to modern day San Dimas. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember having a problem with it in the movie. I just couldn't remember why. No, it's but zany it, wackiness, but it is a moment where I was like, no, sorry. Why are you, he, why are you came to quote <laughs> Ghostbusters 2? But we get a lot of good moments. Like, uh, we get a lot of, uh, Freud holding phallic things, but this, which we get I appreciate. The, yeah, we get, but we get him holding a corn dog and then being disappointed in his corn dog. <laughs> well, as girls make fun of him, his right. corn dog slowly lowers. <laughs> You see, because it's his penis. Sometimes a corn dog is just a corn dog, but they but actually. <laughs> but in this case, but they actually like they all kind of are end up in their own hijinks and then getting t- 
taken in by the mall security and um Billy, the kid, is just shooting an actual gun in the mall, which is beyond hijinks. And then, in a, a post Columbine world, that did read yeah. a lot differently than it would have in 1989. Exactly, and especially because he does it again in the school, like oh as my part God, of in the school. And it was just like, okay, I said, uh, I said aloud, guns right. in school. <laughs> Doesn't it's so weird to think of like that? There was a time before, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where was a time where. Like Will not you that just take your gun to school as historical figure Billy the Kid. Yeah, there was a time when that happened every day. But the only the thing that bothered me about that scene, besides that, was that Beethoven didn't do anything wrong. He was just jamming out in a music store, I and he wouldn't stop because he's deaf. And there's like there's deaf people in 1989. <laughs> deaf deaf isn't something that we just worked out in the in the 1800s. Yeah, it's still a thing. Um. I did like, uh, first off, I did like Beethoven's look when that guy says, are you a musician? And Beethoven just like turns his head, uh, <laughs> just glaring at him. At first I thought that Beethoven was played, uh, was played by the same guy who played Vigo in Ghostbusters 2, not to bring it up too, too soon since my last reference. Uh, it is not for the record. Um, just in case you were curious, who's not playing someone? <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> the confusion that only you had. Thank also, you for clearing. Also, not Gregory Peck. Little known fact, Gregory Peck did not play Beethoven in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Also not um, Richard Dreyfus. weirdly. <laughs> Surprisingly, uh, not Patti Lapone. I really <laughs> thought that that was her, but no. She's a again. chameleon. <laughs> again, I can't stress enough. It was a different actor. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I felt bad again for Socrates. He's on ice rink. He doesn't know. He probably hasn't seen ice very often in his life when yeah. you really think about it. And now he's slip sliding all over the place. Doesn't get that cold. Nature. It doesn't Greece. get that. It's it's a it's a you Temperate. know if you're going down Temperate. to Mykonos, you're getting that sea air. This is your people. These are your people. True, uh, beautiful blue skies of Mykonos or whatever. Um, you know. <laughs> eating that uh, hemlock leaf uh, to get mm -hmm. out of your terrible marriage to Xanthope, Xanthope, Mrs. Socrates, mm -hmm, anyone? Mm -hmm. She's supposedly a bitch. Xanthope. And then uh, stabbed in the back by uh, Brutus. <laughs> right? Oh, I get it. So you see one guy in a toga, you've seen them all. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, Technically, uh, what uh, Socrates would be wearing is a hemation. Oh. What a is hemation. the difference? You know, uh, that's a great question, and we're going to cover that in our next episode. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> On William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. <laughs> Stay tuned as we look up stuff in between episodes. <laughs> Don't really know. Uh, I actually am out of notes at this point, so please. Oh, really? Uh, one note I wanted to make was that uh, I like a joke that's never mentioned in the I like a visual gag that's never called upon in a movie. Okay. Um, and Missy's Grilled Cheeses look absolutely terrible. If you actually look at her sandwiches that she made, they are burnt on the outside and they, the cheese is still like un, unmelted on the inside. She's so like 19 years old. <laughs> right. Exactly. I did have a question. This is a paradox. Maybe. Okay. Um, if they need help from the future to stop Bill and Ted from separating, how would the future exist to know to send Rufus? Hmm to stop them from separating. Yeah. He would have to come from like an alternate future, like Terminator, right? Where it's like things didn't Terminator, work out. Back to the future too. Yeah. But if he does that, then it would 
if he does succeed, then by the time he goes back, it would be fixed. It would be fixed or he would cease to exist. It depends on which uh, mm. science fiction 80s comedy you're dealing with. Right. And if you kick baby Hitler, I don't know, something. <laughs> Maybe if you just let Hitler get into art school. You know, yeah, he's an anti-Semite and terrible, but just let him into art school and let him paint, you know. Look, life German is a meritocracy. City. He needs to earn his way in. <laughs> Look, uh, Gregor, if you could just let him in on this one, just give him a pass. Yeah, the church steeple is right in the center. No one wants that. It it throws off the whole layout of this uh, cityscape. But maybe you could just teach him not to center the steeple. And then, you know, it all, trust me on this. It trust, works out a lot give me this. Give me this one. Just take a mulligan on this one, Gregor. Gregor! I did want to point out what I do love is how ridiculous this premise is. But I also like that. I mean, if you were a teenage boy, who's about to start a band, no matter how bad you are, of course you think your band's going to change the world, comma, man, exclamation point. Right. I do love this like, uh, delusion, um, of, you know, oh, yeah, this is going to change everything, man. And it actually is the case. I don't know true. how long that will play out in terms of, you know, the next two movies. Uh, but I do like that, um, that sort of delusion. I mean, I feel like it gets us into the head of, like, two, like, stupid teenagers. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. I also want to commend the Circle K scene because I think a lot of... Uh, Time travel or sort of these type of sci-fi movies where a person in an ordinary life encounters sci-fi in some way, there either is a scene where they have to be convinced that it's real or the movie just jumps ahead to them believing it's real too soon. And I'm like, why would he just go along with this? But this one, I think bringing back past Bill and Ted to convince previous Bill and Ted, it's like so quick. It takes like two minutes yeah. and it's like, why would I, we lie to ourselves? I'm like, Oh, of course we better go back in time with Rufus. And when you actually think about it, they never actually hear Rufus's name except from their future selves. Yeah. So they're, there's no one, Rufus never actually introduces himself to to Bill and Ted, except through future Bill and Ted saying it to past Bill and Ted. It's a paradox, man. It really is. Yeah, it's a nice, like you were talking about the tight writing. It's a nice, like clean, tight scene. And it's just like, you get it. There's some laughs. It explains what's going on enough to, to go with it. And then for our characters too, who are, you know, agreeable, dumb. they're dumb and agreeable. <laughs> so it makes sense that they'd be like, well, Okay, you know, but what, they, what number are we thinking about? Sixty nine, dudes. Yeah, and it checks out. That is actually true. That I mean that that I mean I want to look down on them, but if my future self came back, I'd probably also say sixty nine, isn't it? It's a nice number. It's a good number. He just has to apply himself. <laughs> the one question I do have, and I know Austin Powers too told me not to to question time travel movies too much, <laughs> but. So Rufus tells us that to always keep your eye on your own watch because the clock in San Dimas is always ticking, which presumes you can only come back to San Dimas at a specific point in time. Mm -hmm. But yet they come back in time the day before to meet their past selves. And they ask Rufus about it. And he says, you're supposed to just dial one up on the number, dude, or whatever he says. I don't, I didn't catch the line. I didn't write it yeah. down. Um, 
Yeah, they would essentially have infinite time to do this, but yeah, that would create no sense of urgency for the movie. So they just I mean, like, I, know, I, I see it as like the movie being like, look, we need to like keep everything going, right? And we need to be able to intercut between like also their one ship. time period and another. Their their ship broke, so the the machine broke too, and then it was. I think they could. What? How did they get out of that? I don't remember. <laughs> they they chewed a bunch. They went back to ten thousand like beasts. Chewing gum, the chewing gum bit, chewing which was gum good. And chocolate pudding cans. It's a good bit. I like that. It's a good bit. I did feel, even though Napoleon is a dick, and I'm still angry at him when I was playing Civilization Six, and he like at the beginning of the game he attacked uh, my fledgling English civilization, which is rude. I just got here. I just met you and you seemed really nice. And then you attacked my people and started a, a years long war. Um, but when he gets thrown out of the bowling alley and he calls out for Ted's brother, Deacon, and he goes, Deacon, Deacon, <laughs> I felt bad for him. <laughs> I also want to say, and I, if this can go back to the princesses stuff, cause I think I'm ready to talk about them now. Thank you for giving me time. Um, Oh, so the Missy stuff we've already talked about being kind of like, uh, I don't know, clumsy. Yeah. Uh, the princesses stuff actually is kind of charming. Like when they first, when they first mentioned the princesses, like uh, send my love to the princesses. And he's like, what? and he's like, you'll uh-huh. see dude. I was like, Oh, this is going to get gross. Isn't it? Um, but then in the medieval England scene, it's actually kind of sweet. Because they see them at a balcony and they're like, there's some, there's some historical babes, dude. Um, and then when they meet up with them, they're very like kind of sweet. It's not like gross or anything. They're like, can you, will you come to the prom with us? Uh, and it's, and it's very sweet. And they're, 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 they find out that the girls are going to be like married off to these, um, what's the term? Men. Royal ugly dudes. Uh, (laughs) and, um, they say they're going to come back for them. They never do. Mm. Rufus actually comes back for them and brings them to Ted and uh, Bill and Ted. I almost called them Ted and Bill, which felt weird. Um, <laughs> Dylan like put, putting your, your shoes on wrong. Uh, he brings them to them, like almost like a, the end of a video game where you save the princess. They right. didn't even actually save them. No, they're just like, he, they made a promise to, and Rufus is like, well, I'll, I'll fulfill that promise for them. <laughs> So it's a little like, I don't know how to feel about the princesses because on the other hand, aside from them sort of being treated like a prize to be won, instead of like kissing on them or being leery of them, not leery of them, but leering at them, uh, I found it charming that they were like, why don't you just be in our band? Right. So they're like on drums and keys, which I was like, this is also kind of charming. I yeah. just don't know what to do with Bill. It's the is the the fact that uh, that you have no requirement of knowing an instrument to be in this band. I that mean, is very helpful nice. to to the the open door policy. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind it's, of charming because I, I was ground floor opportunity. I like to think yeah, of with white yeah. stallions. You pick whatever instrument you want, then learn that instrument, and then uh, we're all or not or not. But they, yeah they they don't get a lot to do. But it's also like. You know, there's these cute boys, and they're and they are cute boys. They are cute boys. They're cute, cute uh, girls and cute boys. They like each other. Finally, their stories will be told. They don't want to marry these royal ugly dudes, so they've they've got a reason to get out. George Carlin shows up, and he's like, "Here are the five words you can't say on television." 
Seven words? <laughs> I think it's seven words. Seven words. And they're like, I don't know any of those words. This is medieval England. England? It is medieval England. England. It's Henry the Fifth, I believe. Not the uh, not the Henry the Eighth that we all know right. and love. Um <laughs> So I don't know. I don't have much to say about the princesses, unfortunately, because no, I was I mean, like, it kind of like it, it was fine. But you're right; it, it could have been. They get short shrift, but they're not. It's not as short shrift as they could have gotten away with. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It could. You know. It could have been. You know. They could have had more to do. They could have had more agency. We could have seen more for them. But also, like, as movies like this, they they weren't as mistreated. As they could have been. Not, no, I mean, like that's that's you know faint praise, but it is praise nonetheless. <laughs> the one, my final note, I promise. Um, so we touched on that. Uh, Sigmund Freud gives Ted uh, uh, an analysis during their report, um, and uh, they sort of like touch on like Ted's dad's anxieties being projected onto Ted. Um, and I actually, because like Ted's dad, as I said earlier, sort of technically sets the plot into motion by his threat to send his son to Alaska. I was hoping for, and I don't want like a whole maudlin scene, but I was hoping for like a little acknowledgement from the movie that that is resolved in a real way. Even if it was just like a shot to Ted's dad during the report, which he shows up for near the end of him, like sort of like looking chagrined and realizing like he's kind of been a dick. Um, I would have loved that, but that never sort of like that resolution never happened. I'm not saying this is like a fatal flaw of the movie, but it was sort of a, I, I think in my rewatch now, like I realized like how much of a thread Ted and his dad are in this movie. Yeah. Because you don't really see, I mean, you see Bill and Bill and his dad hanging out and leering over the same woman, um, in this movie, but, but Ted and dad is the relationship that actually gets explored. And I was hoping that we could get a resolution to it. And it's just like this open, this open hole in, in this story. Because I feel like Ted's dad is like one of the main players in this. Yeah, I didn't really notice that, but that makes sense. I mean, like they they pass the test, so he presumably, you know, he's not being sent away. But they don't really have a discussion about it, right? Rufus being at ease about the future seems to imply that they they he will not be shipped off to Alaska. Right. Alaska's nice, Ted. Oh, you can get one of those cruises, Ted. Come on. Moose? With Zoom, you can you can do all sorts of band rehearsals. There's a moose, probably. You ever done a Zoom uh, band rehearsal? Technology's not really there for the live rehearsal. It's a mm. little bit too much latency. You can do like a recorded thing where you all record to a, a track, you know. But at that point, it's just a recording session, really. Right. Do you think Rufus was... Do you really want to know the answer? No, not actually. I was hoping for more, but it didn't really pay off. Boy, that Uh, was too informative, I think. (laughs) I'll tell you what's not... the verdict. I'll tell you what's not Titan edited, this podcast episode. (laughs) We'll see about that. Damon Xanthopoulos, what is your verdict? DJ, first off, thank you for having me. I'd like to thank the people of Hofstra University for hosting this debate. Um, I will say your inner child 
is not an idiot. I found this movie uh, charming against my best wishes. Keanu Reeves is adorable. Alex Winters' midriff is adorable. Alex Winters, he's fine. It's, it's, I mean, it's not like a laugh fest, but I mean, I found it charming enough uh, that I was entertained throughout. Um, I'm curious, like, uh, since we're watching the sequel next time, um, how uh, sort of the the uh, tensile strength of this uh, threadbare right. um, premise will yeah. will wear after another 90 minutes of plot, especially with a bigger budget, presumably. But I enjoyed this one. DJ, Phillips, comma, colon, what do you think? This adventure mm-hmm. of Bill and Ted's mm-hmm. was pretty good. Okay. Uh, your child's not an it. idiot. <laughs> Aaron Charles is not an idiot. Uh, I found this very amusing. I thought, uh, most importantly, and you hit this right away, like, most importantly, Bill and Ted, the characters, are charming. And I think that if they weren't, you'd kind of find a lot more of the... It's it's a silly movie, and it's not pretending to not be silly. It's, like, kid-like. You know what I mean? It's very, like, four kids in a... Like, a not in a bad way. I just mean it's, like... It's very kid friendly. Like kid aside friendly. from a few That's, 69 jokes, it's right. pretty kid friendly. It's it's they for you like say that Bill's mother is hot. They say she's cute. It's right in the sweet spot. Um and yeah, like I agree it wasn't a laugh right. It wasn't hilarious, but it was amusing. It's like one of those <laughs> I, what made me laugh the most was there the quotes that we gave like there were many steps and columns. It was most tranquil. <laughs> like I'm, I love that every single time. <laughs> it's pretty um, funny. And it's like his uh, over verbose descriptions of things. Is, uh, it reminded me yeah. a little bit of Calvin a little bit. Don't yes. say a little bit twice. Um, but Calvin oftentimes has a very uh, magniloquent way of describing dumb things, which I always appreciate. Uh, well, your uh, loquaciousness is appreciated. Thank so. you. Thank you very much, finally. <laughs> Uh, what do you think, everybody? Why don't you let us know? Uh, email us, your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. You can call us or text us 615-576-0525. You can find us on all the social medias. Damon is constantly on TikTok, but uh, uh <laughs> no, we're I'm on WhatsApp Queen. You know that. We're on uh Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. You can find all your favorites. Damon uh posts great drawings for each episode. We want to thank the patrons of the show, including The Zesty, Joshua Nicholson, Karen Curd, Larissa Maestro, Lindsay Nell, T. Smith, Jeremy Powlin, Jonathan Day, The Supreme Ruler of this Podcast, Just Cuz, Kevin from Cleveland, Captain John Luke Picard, Brandon Hardy, His Honor the Mayor, Primordial Burrito, Christine in Brooklyn. <laughs> Go on, DJ. You ordered it. Demon's Australian accent. <laughs> It sounds even better coming out of you. I felt like I was in Melbourne or Perth. Uh, Dan McIntyre. Dramatically placed hot dog. Was that an Irish accent? Sure. (laughs) Jacob Grimm. Thank you guys very, very much for helping us support the show. If you want to become a patron like them, patreon.com slash your child is an idiot. Do you want to just, uh, just for the rest of the, as the the song plays us out, let's just do air guitars uh, to listen closely. Oh, yeah. Listen to the air moving between my... Is this a chord? DJ, is this a chord? What about this one? This one? Yeah. This one? Yeah. This one? These? What about that one? I'm I'm tapping. I'm tapping. Oh, tapping. Is that a thing? 
Is that my supposed to Eddie be tapping? Or should I also be? Oh, he tapped. Yeah. Would that make a sound though? Yeah. On an electric guitar only. Oh, here we go. I can't see because of your microphone, uh, your plosive buffer. Okay, I see it now. But you're plucking with your other hand. No, I was just uh, I was doing a, a hammer-on pull-off. What? A lot of words. Looks a lot like strumming with a pinky. Would this work on an acoustic guitar as well? Uh, it, it works. It's not. It's not as easy to do on. 